In the market for investment-worthy bags, watches, and fine jewelry, Rebag is the answer. Rebag is a luxury resale platform where each piece is carefully inspected by experts to ensure quality and authenticity. Use Rebag to buy and sell finds from the world's top brands, including Louis Vuitton, Chanel, and Cartier. Head to Rebag.com and get up to 15% off your first purchase as a member with code REBAGNEW. Shop today at Rebag.com. That's R-E-B-A-G.com. And use promo code REBAGNEW for up to 15% off your first purchase as a member. Betches Media presents... Diet Starts Tomorrow with host Sammy Sage I'm having a relationship with my pizza. and Aileen Drexler. I'm going to make you girls a hump day treat. In a world where wellness looks perfect on Instagram. Just doing my workout. Tuesday's arms and back. But feels anything but in real life. Is butter a carb? Yes. This is the podcast exploring the emotional side of well-being. I would be proud to partake of your pecan pie. From people who understand the struggle. I'm on the third day of my cleanse diet. Hello, and welcome back to Diet Starts Tomorrow. I'm Sammy. And I'm Eileen. And today, we're joined by a very special guest. It is actually my cousin by marriage, Rachel Otis. She's a somatic therapist, pleasure activist, a queer intersectional feminist, body activist, Crohn's disease survivor, and writer who holds a master's degree in counseling psychology. And I just feel like Hi, Rachel, first of all. We're sharing a microphone to paint a picture. Yes, hello. Thank you so much for having me. Hi, nice to... uh, We met. We met at Sammy's wedding. Yeah, so Rachel, you really inspire me a lot. Everything that you do on Instagram for like body acceptance and just general... um, Just general body positivity. But I think first, can you tell us kind of like generally your background how you got into this and a little bit maybe about your struggle with weight and with Crohn's so basically um I was brought to this journey by being diagnosed with Crohn's disease when I was 14 um and I had already been existing in a bigger body before then Um, And so when I got sick, it was kind of a perfect storm of the medical world and diet culture coming together to focus more on my weight than on my disease. Um, And so that really solidified a lot of um, my own eating disorders and exercise disorders Um, just making them more intense. And along the lines after, I call myself the Goldilocks of therapists because I could not ever find one that I liked. (laughs) Um, And so eventually I found what is called a somatic therapist. And she also disclosed that she has chronic illness. And so that just opened up the door for me, understanding that this was the pathway I wanted to be on um, after undergrad. And so... For me, being a somatic therapist basically means holding a lot of space for the mind-body connection. So in any given session, we might veer from traditional talk therapy in that the body is really compassionately but explicitly brought in. So like, what's happening for you right now? Um, And that's something that really touched me along my path. Um, And that's kind of what brought me here after... Just a casual five years of 
graduate school hell but yes (laughs) (laughs) after I survived that I made it here and also when I was in grad school to be a therapist of this sort of like radical nature I was looking around at who was also becoming therapists and there really wasn't anybody who looked like me and there wasn't really anybody with chronic illness Um, so it was a big reminder that uh, a lot of the the way that Sammy introduced me, kind of those identities are the communities I get to work with now. So that's just like a snippet of my spiel. <laughs> um, well, thanks for also uh, defining somatic therapy because I personally, I don't, I've never heard that term before. So that's really interesting. Um, and congratulations on five years of graduate school. <laughs> Not easy. So just going back to like your journey of discovering, finding the right therapist, finding someone who could really understand the effect of your chronic illness on your weight, what was the process of sort of like dealing with Crohn's and then, you know, kind of integrating all the different advice you were getting from doctors who were trying to kind of like blame it on weight rather than a disease? Yeah. So um, it is a very like interconnected process. Um So I appreciate that you named it that way. I would say, um, essentially, I think it's important for me to name that I was also being treated at the number one children's hospital in the entire world, which is Boston Children's Hospital. And so, like, I had the best team. And... um, I still communicate with my doctor to this day and give her lots of feedback about my experience. So (laughs) I do and did love her, but the issue was like, it was very situated in, um, as we were still figuring out what's even gonna work to uh, support your Crohn's and not being active, they were just so hyper-focused on losing weight at the same time and for people who don't know what Crohn's disease is quick snippet essentially it's an autoimmune disease where my immune system is attacking my GI tract so just like you know casually my intestines and colon super fun topics for (laughs) adolescents to talk about Um, so what is very interesting is most Crohn's patients become emaciated when they get sick because basically you're holding nothing in your body Um, and so while I did lose some weight at 14 I was actually obsessed with I was so angry that I did not become emaciated (laughs) from having Crohn's I was like really I'm gonna be this sick and I'm not gonna get like skinny as hell what is happening Um, and that's also when we started to bring in like the both and of the holistic world and the medical world. And the first time I met with someone, um, and I have to say the holistic world, extremely fat phobic as well. So there's not gonna be a lot of reprieve unless you find the right people in either realm if you exist in a fat body. And I self-identify and use that term as a descriptor. Um, But I did have an herbalist once tell me that she found it easier to work with bodies like mine because essentially it represents your body is like I'm not gonna let you die you're not gonna starve to death you're gonna stay alive (laughs) even though nothing is functioning Um, and so I kind of took that 
away from that experience and I was like, all right, my body's like really actually on my side trying to keep me going. So from there is kind of like the jump off point of finding those right people. And for therapists or psychiatrists or psychologists, they can't be, for me, they couldn't be too clinical. Like all they were knowledgeable about was my Crohn's and then they couldn't be too like woo woo where I was educating them because that didn't feel good either. (laughs) So yeah. Is the, is the, is the treatment for Crohn's, can you just clarify, is the treatment for Crohn's, um, but you need, sorry, is the, there is a treatment though for Crohn's. I know there's no like, um, cure, cure, but there's a treatment that is clinical, right? Or are you saying that you tried a holistic approach that isn't like medicine? Um, no. So it, there is the, pro, the, ish, the thing, the hard thing about Crohn's is you could put like 10 Crohn's patients in a room and we could all have different symptoms and different treatments. But um, mine was more moderate to severe. So all the medicine we were trying in different ways wasn't working um, until I got to this stage of trying infusions. So I've actually been doing infusions for 20 years. So every seven weeks of my life, I go to the hospital for like a few hours hopefully not more, but sometimes more, um, and get an infusion of a medication called Remicade. And um, I was just only doing medicine for a long time, but when I was an undergrad, I was still getting really sick. Could have been that I was like still partying. <laughs> but um, that's the thing. I was like, I'm not giving that part of college up. So um, that was when I also had to keep like branching out um, and I discovered things like being gluten free or refraining from eating dairy. (laughs) You can hear the sadness in my voice, like really helped me not wake up every morning and, you know, for lack of being too graphic, just vomiting or being sick, which even with hardcore medication, I was. So it's very my journey has been very both and since then um and not to date myself too much but back in the day when i became gluten-free it was not a thing so it was just uh a whole new world no one knew what i was talking about (laughs) it feels like cat food has been the same forever smelly boring made of mystery ingredients that's why you've got to try smalls Small's cat food is protein-packed recipes made with preservative-free ingredients you'd find in your own fridge. And it's delivered right to your door. Make the switch from kibble and give your cat a meal they'll love. We actually sent some Small's to my friend in Brooklyn who is fostering kittens, and they took to it right away. It is delicious. It is nutritious. It is easy to serve. Yum, yum, yum. Eat it up. Your cute kitty is descended from ferocious desert cats who hunted live prey. Even if your cat prefers to nap all day, they still need fresh, protein-packed meals for a balanced and healthy diet. Other brands fill their food with mysterious meat byproducts, artificial flavoring, and preservatives with names I don't even want to try to pronounce. After switching it up to Smalls, 90% of cat owners reported overall health improvements. That's major. The team at Smalls is so confident your cat will love their product that you can try it risk-free. That means they'll completely refund you if your picky cat won't eat their food. Now 
is the time to make the switch to Smalls. Head to smalls.com slash DST and use promo code DST at checkout for 50% off your first order, plus free shipping. That's the best offer you'll find. But you have to use my code DST for 50% off your first order. One last time, that's promo code DST for 50% off your first order, plus free shipping. So like at what point in the treatment of your Crohn's or in like the journey, did you come to the realization that a lot of the treatment was kind of being affected by fat phobia? And at what point did you start to kind of change your relationship with your body to to accept it and be, be happy and proud of it? Yeah. So um, that journey of like that part of my journey really didn't happen until after college when I discovered that there were other people um, like in disability justice movements, but also in, of course, we have the offshoots of what we know now as body positivity. Um, I tend to not use that phrase because of how it gets co-opted and just like doesn't mean that much now because we're just using it to sell more shit. So (laughs) um, I do consider myself a fat activist and there is like a whole radical movement of people just accepting their bodies. And that really started by the visual. I actually noticed like the platform of Instagram itself providing a visual space to literally just see other bodies that looked like mine doing shit that I've always been told I couldn't do, like wearing a bikini or popping into a headstand in yoga. Um, It's revolutionary and also as like a little psychology nerding out moment. We have these things called mirror neurons in our brains and that's why representation is so important because if we see someone that looks like us doing this thing, in a way our mind and bodies are also doing that thing with them and can be like encouraged to know we can do it on our own so for me it was really starting to see people and kind uh, that looked like me and kind of pull out of just believing everything that the medical world was selling me because they did they literally put me into a program called optimum weight for life (laughs) And I just found my, like, food packet from that, and I was just like, hmm. What did they make you do? Like, I literally had to track everything and own, like, severe. It's essentially they amped up my own eating disorder. Right. (laughs) Um, Because, like, I was already severely restricting. Um, I grew up in New England where for some reason – almost everyone looks the fucking same. I also went to private school, so then it, private Catholic school, it got even more intense. So I was somehow surrounded by like size zero bodies for like a lot of my life, which is not even, that's wild to think about. Um, But I think also just moving through, seeing more people and again, um, it's interesting I say post-college because that's also the time that I really had to like exit Children's Hospital because I was getting too old. But I love my doctor so much. She's like, I'll see you through college. But when I was 23, she's like, got to go. But I think that also helped me in some ways. Um, But in other ways, it hurt because every single solitary doctor I've ever seen 
except for my GP, who I have kept since I was 13, um, has, I mean, as a fat body person, you could go in for strep throat and they will talk about you losing weight before they ever address your strep throat. So same thing with Crohn's. Um, and that's why it can be very dangerous uh, because I've even had GI doctors suggest that I like cut my stomach <laughs> and eliminate part of it. And when your disease is in that part of your body, that's when you really start to realize like, oof, this is this shit runs deep because that's not gonna heal me in any way. Um, so yeah, I think it was kind of the both and of the age I was. I consider myself an elder millennial and it was like good timing for Instagram to pop up in my life and see other people. Um, and it's still probably to this day, I'm working on the the eating part of my life because that is just ever evolving, isn't it? Yes, it is. It's it's a lifelong process, <laughs> literally. Um, so, so can you share like what it means to be a fat activist and then also like how it comes to play in your life as a therapist, like if somebody comes to you and you could tell is like very fat phobic, how do you um, deal with that? Yeah. So I also want to say, um, just to give you a frame, this is like, as I describe myself this way now, this is coming from like my majority of my life hearing the word fat would like literally induce like such an intense shame response and of course typically fat is associated with bad or negative so um what is interesting is like coming to that place for me basically meant that just like I use the term queer to identify and how at one point queer in our vernacular was like extremely negative um, and queer people have reclaimed that. That's how I see the term fat um, and fat activism. For me, it's like neutralizing that term as a descriptor and at the same time advocating that no matter what size your body is, you deserve more than adequate health care, mental and physical, and to be treated with respect. So for me, being a fat activist really just means I, the only visible part of my identity, interestingly enough, is that I'm fat. So people cannot see that I have Crohn's. People can't see that I'm Jewish or that I'm Micmac Native American or, um, you know, all these other parts. They can sometimes see I'm queer, but mostly they choose not to because I uh, dress feminine and people are ignorant. So. This is the only part of my identity people really see. And I'm like, all right, I want to reclaim that um, because nobody can really take that identity away from me and try to turn it negative if I don't let them. Um, and what's interesting is as soon as I can have really claimed that and stepped into that space, um, the clients that I attract in terms of my therapy practice are typically uh, represented in my marginalized identities. So I have a lot of queer clients. I have a lot of chronically ill clients. 
Um, and I have a lot of fat body clients. Majority of them are coming to me because they share that identity with me and they actually feel safe to work through and externalize fat phobia. And I just want to clarify, I do use that term. There's some like discrepancy in the fat activism world. But as a therapist, I actually see it as important. And like, I would love eventually to get that word put into the DSM, which is like our diagnostic manual, just like homophobia is in there. Um, Because it is a fear of fat, I think. This episode is brought to you by Newly. Have you ever felt that fast fashion ick, but can't always find the super high-end stuff? I have a solution for you, Newly. Newly has everything you need to bring your closet up to speed for this season without breaking the bank. Free your closet of impulse purchases and skip the buyer's remorse by renting instead. Newly is a subscription clothing rental service. For just $98 a month, you get your choice of any six styles each month. Access to thousands of styles from more than 400 brands. There are no fees, late fees, damage fees, or fees to pause or cancel. They also have inclusive sizing up to 5X as well as petite and maternity. And you always have the option to buy what you love. I love Newly. I've rented so many cute things from there, and I've even made a few purchases from there. And They're always spot on. They have so many brands that I honestly could never afford in real life, so it's great to be able to rent them. Newly is a great value at $98 a month for any six styles, but right now you can get $20 off your first month of Newly when you sign up with the code DST20. Just go to Newly, that's N-U-U-L-Y.com, and enter the code DST20 and sign up to get $20 off your first month. That's N-U-U-L-Y dot com, newly with two U's, with code DST20. Newly subscription clothing rental. Change your clothes. Warmer weather is finally back. After so many cold months, it's nice to get outside and soak up the sun. But the springtime always brings those unwanted guests. Pollen and seasonal allergies. April showers bring spring flowers and sniffly noses and stuffed up sinuses. Luckily for those of us who live with the symptoms of allergies, we can live Claritin clear with Claritin D. Shout out to Claritin for supporting this episode and providing us with samples. I suffer from seasonal allergies. I just had them hit the other day. I couldn't breathe through my nose at all. And I popped a Claritin and it was like night and day. I'm a huge fan of Claritin. I use it on the regular and it always helps when we're making that transition from winter to spring, which is when my allergies flare up. Mainly it's my sinuses that get so clogged and the Claritin just clears it right up. Designed for serious allergy sufferers, Claritin D has two powerful ingredients and just one pill that relieve your allergy symptoms and decongest your nose so you can breathe better. This double action combination of prescription strength allergy medicine and the best decongestant available relieves sneezing, a runny nose, itchy and watery eyes, an itchy throat and nose, and sinus congestion and pressure with ease. Ready to live your life as if you don't have allergies? It's time to live Claritin clear. Fast and powerful relief is just a quick trip away. Find Claritin D at the pharmacy counter. Ask for Claritin D at your local pharmacy counter. You don't even need a prescription. Go to Claritin.com right now for a discount so you can live Claritin clear. Use as directed. Can you talk about what the discrepancy is within the within the somatic world about that or within the fat activism world? The discrepancy is just it's like a very newer concept. Um 
that some people believe you shouldn't use the term phobia um, in relation to this concept because they think it almost like takes away from people with mental illness who have other phobias and Mm -hmm. they see this as an extension of what it is which is an internalization of societal norms Mm because if society never deemed fat as bad then we wouldn't really give a shit Mm -hmm. um but i don't see it that way because i am a therapist so i see it in the other way which is it actually validates what it is and it could create protocols for therapist trying to actually work on this stuff whether it's I don't so no matter the body size like of course I have clients of all body sizes no matter how socially normed of my clients bodies have been Mm -hmm. 10 out of 10 times regardless of body size gender identity anything every client I've ever worked with has had body image issues and that has been the one really heartbreaking theme in the work that I've done is that there hasn't been one client without shame around their bodies. How do you work through that shame? Like, do you have any like advice for anybody who's listening who just wants to sort of like get started? (laughs) I think our, as like, I know you all have talked about and like clearly is becoming more mainstream as like now there's an obsession with like self-love mm-hmm. and it's like you have to love yourself otherwise I don't know what <laughs> but it's not therapeutic <laughs> yeah. at all and so I like to say that like self-love is not the be-all end all of becoming okay with your body it's like I think just like we we're talking about food it's like gonna be a journey forever um But I'm really huge on, like, the first step being body neutrality. So, and I know that can sound like a bit of a what does that mean concept. But I will literally start with a client who, again, this is also true for clients who hold a lot of, like, physical pain in their bodies. Is, like, is there just one part of your body, even in this moment, whether you're in a session with me or whether you're listening to this podcast right now, that feels neutral like it's not holding tension um it's not holding a memory of some sort and this can get really like when my therapist first did this with me I was like very resistant I was like no neutrality but then I was like fine my right earlobe is really like my right earlobe is really fucking neutral right now and this (laughs) is where I started with my right earlobe apparently not my left one that day I was still with the right one so like our bodies will also create a lot of reasons why uh, to have resistance but um starting with like is there one place I just feel neutral about and then I know I described a little bit about what somatics is, but um, uh, bringing in different modalities. So it's not just bringing in the body, but like with clients in a session, we might do guided meditation. So we might do like a body scan um, or some different yoga poses that feel supportive. Um And it also might be looking at, like, how are you holding your body? So I know I'm, like, getting it on the mic, so I'm like this. But if everyone listening right now were to take a moment and just notice, like, what is your posturing like right now? And 
what would it feel like to adjust your posture in this moment? So is there a way to actually get a little bit more comfortable or a little bit more in alignment? And just that very slight moment of awareness of your body and then the empowerment to know, oh, I could shift. Even just like opening my chest makes me feel a little bit more open to other things, <laughs> right? Um, that is part of the process for me. So there's a lot of things, but I do also kind of give the caveat that I don't believe in a one-size-fits-all model of anything. So clearly it doesn't work for fashion and it doesn't work for therapy. And that's a line I've probably said in every single intro session I've ever had. <laughs> so uh, I, the same thing for like everyone's body journey. I like to give hopefully things that you know listeners can practice and then also just know it's okay to explore and be curious and have things not work and then find other things like there isn't just one thing that's supposed to work for everyone i i have a question because i remember when i started therapy but probably like six or five or six years ago i was working with a like a what was it called like a body psychotherapist and i remember like at the time i had basically like no attunement to my body like i didn't understand anything like any, I didn't have any frame of reference for what you were just saying. So where does someone who maybe like has never, like has zero connection to their body essentially, where does that person start? This is going to be a really annoying therapist answer. <laughs> but I would say we actually have to start um, by understanding why it's not safe for them to be in their bodies or mm -hmm. why they have the disconnection from their bodies. Mm -hmm. And kind of like be with that or sit with that first um which is also why somatic therapy in particular i think if somebody is in like an extreme crisis right survival mode they're not really going to be able to access their body mm -hmm. so um for some people it's like we are doing somatic therapy because I'm a somatic therapist, mm -hmm. but maybe for the first five sessions, they're just talking. Mm -hmm. But like, to me, that's the first step to them building safety. So like maybe in the sixth session, I could just ask them, hey, when you just use that particular gesture, did you notice any feelings popping up in your body? Um, also, like, a basic thing to do with someone who has no connection is to do, like, a, um, I will go through almost like a sensation dictionary mm -hmm. and will literally just list all the sensations. Um, I've created, like, a PDF. I'm sure. Like, what are sensations? Like so it could literally be, like, warmth, tingly, um, now pain? I, yeah, sorry. I'm just like, oh my pain, god, I yeah. feel like I'm in a quiz. Yeah. Oh my god, yeah. what are the sensations? <laughs> yeah. Um, everyone that you can think of. Um itching. So like, yeah, pain. it could be itchy. But and then if we look at pain, it could be like, is it aching? Is it stabby? Is it in one part of your body? Um, and I know this is gonna get a little woo-woo, but we might also be like, if your pain had like a color right now, what would that be? 
<laughs> um, or if it had something to say, what would that, you know, what would it say? So there's different ways to work <laughs> yeah. with that. Um, but yeah, sensations can be, it's important to provide clients with sensations that they might perceive as both quote-unquote positive, quote-unquote negative, but also neutral. Um, or see how they could be, you know, in different situations. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. What I love about Shopify is basically how no matter how big you want to grow, Shopify gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. I know we use Shopify here at Betches, and honestly, anyone with any kind of business could really benefit from Shopify. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere from their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout, 15% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. And sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklyn, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning 24-7 help is there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash betches, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash betches now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash betches. Can you um, like heal your internalized or externalized fat phobia, but also want to lose weight? <laughs> I'm going to sew that for a minute. So <laughs> can you kind of be like, on like, the path to healing and externalize fat phobia, but at the same time be holding a process of losing weight or desire to want to I would explore where the desire comes from because that usually is like the key factor for me in answering that question mm -hmm. um, I don't think they're mutually exclusive but because I am chronically ill and have gone through the ringer with like legit best doctors in the world still trying to get me to lose weight, quote unquote, for my health, I really sit with clients and break that down if that's something that does come up for them. And um, I ultimately believe in bodily autonomy. So I don't think um, saying that is inherently negative. However, 99% of the time, when we get to the core of it, why do you want to lose weight? Because we live in a society that says when you're in a smaller body, you'll feel better, look better, be more socially accepted, so on and so forth. And so that's where it gets a little bit of that painful gray area because we really can't separate ourselves from our society. But I will say as a therapist, what's important to me is that I'm not just like 
addressing this with clients in sessions that I'm actively out in the world trying to advocate for them and us and all bodies in different ways, even if it's like speaking on a podcast about it um, so that more people maybe have access to that information. The last thing I wanted to learn about is pleasure activism because um, as kind of like the resident hedonist of this podcast, I would say, I want to, how do I turn my hedonism into pleasure activism or is that not possible? Oh my God. (laughs) I think it's probably already happening. You just didn't have a name for it yet. Um, So pleasure activism is a concept created and it's like, I would say it's a way of life, but it's also a book um, written by Adrienne Marie Brown, um, who also uh, has Emergent Strategy and other books. But for the times that we're in, those are epic reads right now. Um, But pleasure activism, the way that Adrienne basically poses it is every form of activism that you're already doing, making it the most pleasurable experience possible, which I feel like your activism has an edge of hedonism, right? Like, you're like, yeah, I live for this shit. Like, yeah. Um, And that's what she's saying is like, why should it be something that only is like draining you and not pleasurable when you could like instill this in your whole life? And it's also about, like, physical pleasure and allowing those pathways to come in. So as a therapist, one of the number one concepts I work with is just how our nervous systems are hardwired to survive, which means hardwired to identify pain. And those same nervous systems don't give a shit about pleasure. They're like, oh, that thing was awesome. But remember that thing that happened two days ago that really <laughs> fucking sucked? Yeah. Like, that, this happens for me all the time. I might teach a workshop and I could get amazing feedback from 19 people. The 20th mm. person will tell me something and my brain is like, fixate, yeah. don't stop. Yeah. And... <laughs> It is like a literal. <laughs> it's like with comment sections and stuff too. Like you read, you read one bad one or one bad DM. You're just like, yeah, cool. Like the praise. Oh shit, this person <laughs> says a wild thing, a wild, outlandish thing, and you remember it for 20 years. <laughs> so that's also because like we have evolved so fucking quickly, technology wise, that our systems aren't even used to like the comment section yet so uh and like our our nervous systems aren't used to like knowing the all of the atrocities of the world like there's a lot of shit we're not fully prepared for but with this one thing i like to tell everyone this like if there was one thing anyone took away from this podcast i would say starting to practice attuning your nervous systems to pleasure in all forms it could literally be like you're taking a sip of your morning coffee and you're like oh my god this tastes so fucking good just be there in that moment for like one minute and it could be like you know you're taking a walk in the park and the sun hits you and you're just like thank god um and it could also be getting positive feedback and letting yourself really take that in 
um, or celebrating yourself when you have a win in therapy. <laughs> I um, have confetti poppers for my clients. So when they have wins that nobody else gets to see but me, I'm like, oop, confetti popper moment. Let's go. We do those. Who cleans um, that up? Um, it's still on my floor. Yeah. yeah. I also have jazz, therapy jazz hands as well. So I do a little combo. Yeah. But when they, my clients are like, no, the, the confetti poppers are going to make a lot of mess. I'm yeah. like, here, I'm going to turn my computer and you can see all the confetti yeah. from all my clients. It gets cleaned up every once yeah. in a while. Um, but like the number one thing is just take those moments and know that you deserve pleasure. And also we're very sexually repressed culture so like pleasure activism is very directly can you share the title again pleasure in that form too um got it and i couldn't recommend the book more it's gives insight from like a lot of different perspectives which i think is important can you share the title again is it pleasure it's literally called pleasure activism by adrian money brown Cool. So, like, you're saying we should have more joie de vivre, basically. Joie de vivre. I'm always trying to make oh, no, joie it, de vivre. It, it leads, this type of practice leads you to having a joie de vivre. You can't just have a joie. Just, like, <laughs> joieing it up, basically, yeah. is what I'm inviting my clients to do. And they'll but usually there, look at me like... But there is a difference between, like, what Sammy said, like, hedonism and, like, a pursuit of, like, indulgence at every stage of everything you do versus versus focus focusing on <laughs> or like or like seeking only comfortable situations versus like appreciating pleasure. I, yeah, I'm going <laughs> to blow your mind right now. Oh, no. You <laughs> might actually be more of a pleasure activist than a hedonist because typically hedonists. <laughs> aren't like yeah let me go do like a million morning announcements they're well, like you have to work so yeah there's that i mean but you get to combine it so right. your hedonist side might be the part that's like fuck everyone i'm gonna indulge in everything yeah, yeah. the pleasure activism right. is like i'm gonna channel that to do good for other people like i have an abundance of, of energy that I've stored up and now I'm gonna like use that for others. Right, fair. I mean, my energy is <laughs> questionable. Well, wait, Sammy, you and I were talking about this, like this like sit versus go run and we'd rather sit. But, <laughs> but though knowing there is pleasure in like the post run feeling, but sometimes we'd rather just sit. So I can't unpack it right now. <laughs> I mean, there are some people in the world who would rather go run and they get their pleasure genuinely from going running. Avi would be a case in point. Like he does not have yeah, pleasure in yeah. sitting the way we have pleasure in sitting. So yeah. 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 But guess what? While you're sitting, you could like be doing something epic at the same time. I'm sure. So yeah. Having a good combo. <laughs> Texting. So it's, like, it's it's like a it could be like also a mindfulness exercise or an exercise in mindfulness because you're like okay at least you're sitting but then at least appreciate that feeling that it's giving you like instead of doing like seven things at once like eating for example you know don't, like if you're eating something delicious don't like distract yourself a billion ways and enjoy that meal totally yeah and that's obviously really hard for people but again you yeah i know yeah. i can't do you it. like i want to give you and sammy a permission to just sit yeah. sitting is a form of pleasure activism also get ready for this 
sitting is like fucking yoga. Sitting can be mindfulness. And sitting actually doesn't mean that you're not moving. I like to remind everyone, even if we're just sitting, especially like imagine people in the world who can't move their bodies um, because they have physical disabilities. Yeah. Yeah. Even when you're sitting, there's so much shit going on inside of you, like physically. Aileen's sitting and growing a baby at this moment. Yeah, like there's a baby growing. You're you're sitting? I tell this to clients so much who are newly pregnant when they're like, I just, I don't get like why. I'm just like so tired. I'm like, you're just casually growing another human inside of you. Oh my God. Yeah, no, it's wild. All right. So I really feel like everyone listening should go try to, bring one bit of pleasure activism into their life this week and then let us know um, like what you did and how you and how you made pleasure an activist moment rather than hedonist moment. Yeah. I'm into that. I like that challenge. Yeah. The act, the pleasure activist challenge. It's like the ALS ice bucket challenge, but but new. Literally somatics and action, which means you're just going to be paying attention to what's going on and what makes you feel good. I'm into it. Um, well, everybody do the challenge. Let us know. DM us at Diet Starts Tomorrow what you have accomplished in um, pleasure activism this week. And how can people find you, Rachel? Yes. So um, I'm very much active on my Instagram, which is somewhere under the rainbow. Got to throw some underscores in there. Um <laughs> just to keep it complicated. And then my website is racheloteistherapy.blog. And if you have inquiries about um, joining my client wait list, you can always email me, racheloteistherapy at gmail.com. So yes, it's so great to connect with you all here. And thank you again for having me. I feel like I could just talk to you all forever about these things so we can do it again. there might need to be yeah. a part two yeah. at some point um but yeah there's there's so much good stuff so thank you well cool thank you everybody go check out rachel's website instagram some is it it's some underscore where underscore okay, or wait, is it no. somewhere <laughs> underscore so it's somewhere underscore the underscore rainbow okay, okay. this was I like before i was like turning it into a thing but i never rebranded so there's that yeah Thank you so much um, for joining us, everybody. As usual, you know what to do. Follow us at Die Starts Tomorrow, at Sammy, at Aileen. Email us, DST at Betches.com. And, you know, just rate, review, subscribe, tell a friend about this podcast. Even if you hate it, tell a friend. Maybe they won't agree and love it. So um, go tell a friend. And we're always with you. Through thick and thin. Diet Starts Tomorrow is produced by Sean Kilby and Jorge Morales Pico. Editing by Stacey Wong and Sean Kilby. Social media by Sydney Rafe. Guest booking by Nicole Pellegrino. Be sure to follow at Diet Starts Tomorrow on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. And send us your emails to dst at betches.com. Betches.